I was a nervous wreck as I packed my things in the middle of the night on January 2nd, 1969. There in my exposed brick bachelor apartment on East 68th Street, I was leaving the life of four years of a girl-chasing studio rat, a life of global good fortune, to cast my fate among actors. As a music star with no acting experience, I was acutely aware that I was cross-hopping professions. Yes, the Panavision movie camera is like the Neumann microphone. Little things are so magnified. But how would I be received in Mexico among first-rate actors on a social level? Amongst Alan Arkin, John Voigt, Orson Welles? I quivered with insecurity as I prepared to fly the next day into Mike Nichols' third feature film, his follow-up to Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and The Graduate, the World War II black comedy, Catch-22. Why did Mike cast me to play Captain Nately, the innocent? What about my famous singing partner? These are things I didn't ask myself. Innately, I felt the rightness of strengthening my half of Simon and Garfunkel. Paul was the writer. Paul played guitar. I was the singer, co-producer of the records, waiting for the songs to be written to start our fifth, our last album. In my mind, I played the underdog. I remember Paul being considered for a role in the movie, or to rephrase, both of us were cast, Paul was dropped. Musicians don't talk. We were too hip to share out loud hurt feelings inside. No one begrudged Ringo when he sang They're Gonna Put Me in the Movies. It was held in affection. Mike knew it was my right to expect the same. Recall he once had a brilliant partner. In May of 1969, Mike took the film to Rome, and Paul's writing changed from... I know your part'll go fine. Words of deep friendship from the only living boy in New York. To, why don't you write me? Words of frustration. I have these vocal cords. Two, they have vibrated with the love of sound since I was five and began to sing with the sense of God's gift running through me. In the sixth grade, I made a friend who added sexy guitar rhythms and vocal harmony to my singing. We were 12 at the birth of rock and roll. In our 20s, we made a few special recordings. They delighted our ears and those around the world. I put my name and copyright to these lovely things. Why didn't I write him? No doubt Paul and I enriched each other's lives immeasurably. Where could the crazy notion come from of moving on from this wonderful duo? From hurt, from crazy motion. If Paul felt Mike had given me the means to sock it to him, maybe I was doing just that. Why didn't I write him? Who are these two sensitive Jewish boys whose mothers love them so much? Who throws the stone? And who throws the return stone? Whose stone is imagined? Who's real? 
I grew up near Jewel Avenue and Main Street in the borough of Queens in New York, the middle child of three boys. Hitler was winning in 41, but Rose and Jack brought home a child to their new brick house in Kew Garden Hills, halfway between Jamaica and Forest Hills high schools. The houses were semi-attached, with driveways between and garages in back, next to 10-foot by 30-foot grass yards. Punchball was king. Twelve of us played in the street. Cars, someone called to constantly punctuate our games. My big brother Jules, Ira Landis, Bobby Dickey Schwartz, Joel Gladstone, Michael Davidson, Henry Heitner. We played running bases, red light, green light, giant steps, hide and seek, two-hand touch football. I was down the manhole, into the sewer, many times retrieving the Spalding. We flipped baseball cards, rode our bikes, stood on the handlebars. We caught fireflies, Japanese beetles. We washed above the wrists for dinner. We called it supper. Played chess by day and watched the Brooklyn Dodgers at night on TV, all in our screened-in porches. Night games were new. The Dodgers played under the lights in white satin. Duke Snyder looked good, but Stan Musial was the quiet king to me.